When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Stories of Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be your Chickasaw native, your Chickasaw Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite and greatest son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And we started this show during COVID because we just wanted to connect with buddies and make people smile. And this is exactly why we connected. Rod Price has been a great friend to me. He's been a mentor to me. He's helped me so much. He's also an incredible legend, especially in the WCCW where he was champion for many years. We were in Europe together for an entire season working for Otto Vance and Peter William in Austria and Germany. We also have gone to Japan together a bunch. We've had a lot of fun together. He is oh, Mr. Yeah. Rod Price. Rod, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Again, man, it's such a pleasure being in front of these two Hall of Famers, man. You made my you made my day, my year. So thank you for having me. Oh, Rod, I want to tell you I appreciate you coming on. We've never had the opportunity to meet each other in person. So yes, when, when John John told me he was going to have you on, you know, I've read all about you. And, you know, I loved old Texas wrestling and all that stuff, man. Yeah. And it, it, it's a pleasure to have you on. We've we've had uh, guys on that know you and told stories about you. So finally, we're getting to, to, to hear the stories man to man and and from the guy who started the story so welcome aboard man we're gonna have a great time here today thank you mr briscoe it's my pleasure sir hey and most of the stories were from james beard so you can just throw them out the uh, you know, <laughs> the credibility is the you're, credibility you're not friends with that guy too are you <laughs> oh two texas guys man i'm stuck uh, you know, you know, and do you find the same? You're you're a California lad. I'm an Oklahoma, yes, you know, for I'm there in God's country, just north of that that cesspool of the state of Texas there. But you know, so I, a lot of times I'm outnumbered on this show, so it's good to kind of have a, a neutral guy on there from California yes, sir. that can Absolutely. look at the world and, and and appreciate Oklahoma for what it's worth for all the great splendor that Oklahoma has. And look at Texas for what it really is. And I won't get into that. I'll let you hey, he's the California <laughs> stud. He had nothing to do with Oklahoma. All right. <laughs> and he got indoctrinated by Jim Weba, Mr. Skandor <laughs> Mr. Jim Weba, man. And what a football encyclopedia wow. that guy was. Man, I oh, love yeah. going. He would say, you know, in 1932, you know, uh, Tex Ram ran 99 yards for the winning <laughs> touchdown against Beaumont. I, well, who in the hell is Tex Ram? And uh, they didn't even have 99 yards back in the. That's day. exactly now, right. You know, he could tell you. He could tell you their stats, their height, what size jock they wore. He knew it all, man. You know what yeah. was amazing, Rod? Was that was before the internet, and he worked on Friday nights. Right. So I don't know how he knew so much about high school football. Newspaper. They used to read that newspaper and read it up and down, man. His brother also was a top DJ. I don't know if you knew that. In, in Oklahoma City, he was one of the morning morning uh, drive time stars, one of the first morning drive time stars I ever. Dale Weeble was his name. 
Really? I'd never heard that. Did what, John? I'd never heard that. Yeah, he he, he was a big, big, big radio personality there for for years and years and while I was in high school, just about the whole time there. Yeah, his brother was. Yeah, he, uh, Rock Rod, you must have so much like I do, so much admiration for Ack. He was just anybody who dealt with Ack just smiles when they hear his name. Yeah, yeah always, always. That, I always that, love these stories, man. Whenever we were going through, I would say Mississippi around Pittsburgh. He's telling me about Civil War, yeah. just history, and his stories, man, were just crazy. Well, hell, he I fought know. the Civil War, though, guys. So, <laughs> 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 there, there's a picture around on the internet of him and my brother Jack. They've been over like this, and both of them are basically rookies at the time. Jim, uh, uh, I had a couple more years on Jack, and I treated Jack and kind of uh filter towards him so he could get get the knowledge plus all all of all of Ack's football uh knowledge jack jack and love hearing those stories there but right. there's a great picture of him and jack jack ta- talking to each other back when they were both real real young if you ever get a chance take a look at it but I'm, let's I'm talk about you rod i mean you were a california guy you your football star out there you I guess San Diego State or some of those, uh, uh, San Diego area. Was you interested in wrestling at the time? And, and tell us a little bit about your background before we get started on your wrestling career. I, I can't. I grew up out there. I went to uh, San Bernardino Valley College, a uh, little J, uh, JT college. Played there two years. Uh, we won the national championship or the state championship my uh, sophomore year. I got picked up uh, by Long Beach State. I got full scholarship. I uh, went there for a semester, and the coaches changed. They recruited me that we were going to be playing in Anaheim Stadium with TV and all you know, all that jazz. And uh, it turned out we were at this little veteran stadium that a high school team or a middle school team plays at and I was like this isn't what you know this isn't what I got recruited for this isn't what I signed up for so uh when the coaches left I left too and I went actually I went and played uh semi-pro football because I needed the money <laughs> and you know <laughs> it, it was 350 400 bucks a week to play so I figured why not who'd you and play for I, it was a LA, it wasn't the LA Stallions. It was <laughs> it was the LA Ponies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they get to the Ponies to get to the Stallions. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I did, did up, you have any wrestling background when you when you were growing up, or just I, I wrestled a little bit in uh, junior high school. You know, just uh, I think maybe one year, and. My dad was a basketball coach, so he always pushed me towards that. Mm-hmm. Basketball, football. Yeah. A little bit of baseball. But, were, were, uh, you, were you growing up a, a pro wrestling fan also, or was that uh, kind of since, in the background? Since I, was, uh, since I could turn on the TV, I wow. loved pro wrestling. Man. Who were some of the guys that you grew up watching? I remember Crusher, Bruiser. The kangaroos stick out in my mind. It seemed like every time I... That's Turn original the kangaroos too, right? Roy Costello kangaroos. and uh, yes, Roy Roy Alfred and Al Costello. Yes, sir. And 
fascination. I, I can remember, I was such a mark and still am, but <laughs> such a mark. I can remember, you know, watching that studio TV and doing the job matches. But when the good matches came on, they always said, well, if you want to see this match, you got to come down to the Civic Center front. I was like, oh, man, because I, I knew my parents were never going to take me. <laughs> and, the great, and the thing about it, the frustrating thing as a fan back in those days, they were cut off at the finish. They'd build oh, up this great exactly. match, great match, great so frustrating. match. So wrong. Oh, Come down to the oh. uh, Olympic Auditorium <laughs> Friday night. Hey, and, and every crushed. week you're sitting hey, and every week you're sitting there watching the main event going, and you're looking at the clock going, it's almost 1130. Yeah. I, they got to have a finish. Got to have a finish. Go on. Come on. No. <laughs> no. No. Not again. <laughs> They got you every crushed. single week with it. Oh, I was crushed, man. But I grew up. Uh, Where was that wrestling out of? It was AWA. AWA. So you got it out of you got it out of the TV out well, of. When I, when I go back to uh, my grandparents, which lived in Indiana, it was always AWA. You know, right right around Indianapolis. Yeah. So California, we caught NWA. Or AWA NWA. Now, yeah. now this is this is after or before Piper or after Piper had his LA run or what? Before. before. This is before. Mm -hmm. And when uh, when those when uh, Blassie and Piper, when that was getting hot, of course I was in school, and I was doing commercials as a. Uh, I did a commercial as a professional wrestler, <laughs> Red Bastine. Billy Anderson were the consultants for the commercial. And we got to talk. They dressed me up like a Mad Max guy for the commercial. And I got to talking with Billy. I got to talking with Red. It really, I, Red and I hit it off really early. And he's like, yeah, man, you know, if you need something, if you really want to get into it, he gave me his card. And about a year later, I, uh, I called him and he sent me to Mondo Guerrero. To start training in, in a it was a uh, muffler shop in East oh, LA. Back up just a little bit if you don't mind. How did you get hooked up with Red Bastine? I mean, Red Red's an all-time legend hero all across Absolutely. the world. Absolutely. I hooked up with Red again at the when we were doing the commercial. Okay. That's when I first met Red. And then I, I followed, he gave me his card, and I followed him up and followed him. I hounded him <laughs> because I was like, I really wanted to do wrestling. And he finally said, man, he sent me, he passed me off to uh, Armando Guerrero. To hey, were, you, were you playing, were you still playing uh, football? I was, I was still playing football. I was trying to go to college still, doing a couple of, you know, off-season night classes. And I was wanting to wrestle. So I started training and was going to camps. You know, they would, with the Rams, they'd keep me up to six, eight weeks, cut me. And sometimes they'd bring me back. Other times, you know, it'd be later in the season. I'd be playing semi-pro again because I was making that 350 a week. And I fell more in love with wrestling than football. And it was strange for me because football was always my first love since I was a, a kid. But that draw of pro wrestling, man, just sucked me in and still 
still got me sucked. And plus, you met a character like Red Bassey right oh. off the bat. I mean, when the folks that don't know, look Red Bassey and up. He was yeah. a character of all characters in professional wrestling. A guy that everybody looks up to in this business, you know, everybody. Red was, he was so good to me I, throughout my career. Even, even when I didn't know who he was in the business, you know, being green and 21 or 20, and and as green and as ignorant as I was, but uh, you know, but I started learning about him and about the respect that you know that you have because I had that with football and carries over into wrestling about the guys that paved the way, and I learned that. And Red just he took me under his wing when I was doing some matches in California. It wasn't really the territories were starting to dry up a little bit. I, and Red said, might want to go to Texas. World class is going strong. Might want to get out to Texas. I moved to Texas. Uh, James Beard and Larry Dwyer were the first two people that, that took me in. Uh, I found out later that Red had called James and said, hey, man, I got this kid coming out. I want you to you know see if you can can't help him out a bit and they did they uh james took care of me uh larry dwyer helped me uh get my first match with uh killer tim brooks he was running a promotion at the longhorn ballroom right down the road absolutely right down the road from the sportatorium yeah so there wasn't anything uh, suspicious as far as like i stolen anything uh, at that east uh, la muffler shop was there (laughs) No, that just sounds like it's a front for a fencing operation. (laughs) I was sucking air, man, because you know, of course, they're working on mufflers, and the shop is just sucking in all that carbon, all that. How did Mondo get that as his training ground? (laughs) I don't know. Him and Billy Anderson were there too. (laughs) <laughs> and all those fumes, man, for two hours we work out. And you're sucking that out. And they go, well, I'll go outside and breathe that, breathe that good L.A. smog air. <laughs> oh, yeah, I feel so much better now. <laughs> you, you mentioned Bill Anderson. Hey, that's another name that, you know, that, that that's so respected in our business that really don't get a lot of airplay. But Bill, mm-hmm. what, what an outstanding worker. What an outstanding man that Bill, Bill yeah, was. Absolutely. Yes, sir. How, how, how'd you like Mondo? I, I met Mondo, you know, much later, you know, but the, the Guerreros were so big out there, especially in Hollywood with uh, Chavo, his brother Chavo. And uh, you know, they right. knew everybody out there. I mean, they, they was Mondo uh, enjoyable to train with? Mondo was fun. He, you never had a dull moment with him. I don't, I've know. never met a Guerrero that's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> They're just good people. I always, I always thought of him as cheap. You know, he was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't get that out of my head, man. But he uh, he brought it. Every day he would bring something in, you know, said, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. Try this, try that. And, you know, after two or three weeks, John, I learned it was a rip. <laughs> he just was, I just want to see if you could do it. <laughs> Hey, you Were know the labels around at that time too? No, sir. I didn't. I didn't see the labels. I, I wish I would have. 
but I, I never had the opportunity. There's such a great connection there with the Guerreros and Gene LaBelle and, and, and oh, Freddie man. Prince Sr. And I mean, there was, it was a, they were connected such in Hollywood, you know, and Chavo Jr. now is such a connected guy in Hollywood as well, you know, for the same reason, because he's very talented. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I, when I was training too, that's when uh, Mondo was doing, uh, doing the book and the video for uh, Gene LaBelle doing his uh, shoot hold. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> what a great history. Hey, and then you come to Texas and you, you run into the guy that has helped basically everybody who's been in Texas, and that's James Beard. I mean, James James is just one of the best guys on the planet, you know, and he's helped, he's helped so many people. Were you there when Penny was around? No. Uh, no, I don't think so. Who was well, who was Penny? Tell tell me, and I might remember. Okay, we're all live. It might have been before you, John. We used to live in a house with uh, probably four people. It's James, a friend that was from James's band, Tommy, Penny, and myself. We rented a house in Dallas. Penny and James were, you know, they they were girlfriend boyfriend. But Penny was a little boopy. She was like the mothership, man. I'm telling <laughs> you, she was out there. And if you ever get the chance, ask ask James about the time I had to call the cops to get him out of the house from Penny. <laughs> well, hell, let's don't ask James. Let's ask you. You're the source of the <laughs> He didn't bring it up much, but it was some interesting nights because she really went off, man. She took, they had those great big mastiff dogs. The cops came. She got <laughs> she sick the she sick those masses on the on the cops. Cops had to shoot them. Shoot the dogs? Yeah. <laughs> no. It, it, it was crazy. It was crazy. James, we went to the sportatorium that night. That night I was he was refereeing my match and I I'd walk up to him and I'd brush his arm. It was just a house show. I'd brush his arm. He's like, what are you doing? I said, I, you got that red light on you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Holy she cow. Was, she was psycho, man. She was psycho. I, I never heard that. I never heard I mean, that. Jay, I'm sure James can clarify. He's a way better storyteller than I am. But James, <laughs> James can absolutely verify. <laughs> And, yeah, and Keller Brooks too. They, they all part well, of that, right? Was Keller the was Keller the Booker at that time? Yes, sir. Was yes, was sir. Red the one that sent you out there? Yes, sir. Red Bastine's the one that sent me out there. Uh, Killer took me in. I, you know what? And Killer actually took me to his school. You know, he was running uh, at that time. He was running the Sportatorium, uh, Longhorn Ballroom, and Stagecoach in Fort Worth. And I still needed polishing, and and Tim Brooks took me under his wing then and and polished me up. And I'm so Tim and I had such a good relationship. I'm so uh, forever grateful for Tim. I just had so many people in my life, man, that are legends in this business that that took care of me. You know, it's awesome. Yeah, you went to that Longhorn Ballroom when when I was in uh, in a high. Uh, I think I just got out of high school. I was a freshman at Oklahoma State University. Jerry Lee Lewis was playing down there in, in the Longhorn. 
And I wanted, I was such a, a Jerry Lee Lewis fan. I wanted to see him so bad. So we went down there. Of course, the place was sold out. So I go up to the window. There's five of us. And I went up to the window. I said, Jerry Lee Lewis left me uh, tickets at the will call office. Oh, yeah, okay, sir. Well, what's your name? I said, Gerald Briscoe. They're back there looking. They're taking tickets out. And as they take the tickets out, I see this name. I don't know what the name is. It said five tickets. They said, sorry, sir. Your, your, your name don't. Well, maybe they left them for my friend, you know, James Beard. I know, just using that name. And that was, she goes back about, oh, here it is right now. Enjoy the show. So I got to go. So we got inside. So now we're thinking, man, when this guy shows up, he's got no tickets. We're going to be in trouble. You know? <laughs> so sure enough, about halfway through the concert, you know, the place is jam-packed. This guy comes in. Excuse me, sir. We think you have, you have our seats. We're supposed to be sitting here. Well, that's okay. You know, everybody's out on the dance floor anyways. We'll just, we just got up and grabbed our liquor and went someplace else and avoid, avoided a, a confrontation with those Texans. Man, but what a <laughs> night that was. At the, at the a lot of memories there, man. Yeah. That's typical of Okie people sneaking in. <laughs> well, get no Texas tickets, man. They were free, man. <laughs> We didn't have no money on us either, man. We were just oh, took yeah. a chance, went there, and it took some fast thinking to get in there. But that Longhorn ball, they had, they had wrestling in there too, but not at that time, right? That later on. Later on, they had the wrestling. I every it was like as I remember, every night was something. Huh. They they had uh, Errol Smith was doing. They were shooting a video there. Then the next night would be all country music. The next night would be wrestling. And you know what was amazing? Every night he had something happen. And that was not a good part of town. No. <laughs> and they drew good crowds there. I mean, it was pretty impressive that they drew big crowds there. Yeah. They, were, they were not in a favorable location. <laughs> Neither was it. Uh-uh. <laughs> you know, back yeah. in, in those days, though, wrestling wasn't always in the best part of town. <laughs> That's where you had, to, you had to know how to fight a lot back in those days. You know? <laughs> Well, you know, the Sportatorium was kind of like we were riding in downtown New York one time, me and Godfather and uh, Ron and uh, I think Teddy Long or Scorpio or somebody. And and Godfather goes, can you imagine how many illegal things there are in this one city block? I said, can you imagine how many illegal things there are in this car? <laughs> so <laughs> the Sportatorium, I don't know if there's more illegal things in the Sportatorium dressing room or outside in the block that surrounded it. <laughs> They kind of right, fit we, we all have our favorite places to work at Sportatorium. One of your favorite places to work too. Oh, absolutely. What, what <laughs> was the mystique about that building? I mean, it it was a even back then. It was a rundown old shack of a building. You know? Absolutely, and it was it was 120. You know, during the summer, uh, and plus with the lights, that made it about 150. I can remember selling, and in, during July. Or August, it was so and hot. And then people were smoking back in those days. Oh. It was 120 <laughs> degrees. That that <laughs> cigarette smoke was right on top of you, man. It, <laughs> it was like a cloud, you know. You had that little tub light with yeah. the cloud and the heat. You're just laying there sweating, man. Rod, it was literally it was, like it the was old, the best times of my life, man. It I was loved literally like the old boxing. Literally like the old boxing shows. You remember, you know, you'd film yeah. it up top. You see all the smoke, you know, around the ring. We 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 walk down that aisle. <laughs> You'd sell that smoke for everybody smoking. It had nowhere to go because there was no ventilation. <laughs> the only thing they didn't have coming down, John, was a microphone from the ceiling. <laughs> you right. remember that? <laughs> right. 
Kill, Killer was such a good dude. I, I love Killer, but he was, to, in my mind, you know, I, I say one of the greatest heels of all time. As far as where he was and what he did, he was one of the greatest heels of all time. He was such a good heel. And, and Tim, was, Tim was so, to me, he was so honest. You know, he never he never tried to be Asher. He'd come up straight. You know, if he screwed up in a match, he'd say, that was horrible. <laughs> that just sucked. <laughs> and but if you were good, of course he would, uh, you know, he'd give you the give you the praise. But I love Tim. You know, we traveled up and down with Act and Tim and James and Sam Houston and just hitting, the, you know, hitting the towns that we hit, and we had a ball, man. I, I enjoyed with Tim. I remember Tim driving one night. I was sitting in the back and I was drinking beer. It started with James. He started driving. He's swerving. We're coming back from New Orleans, going to Dallas. Tim gets in. He's smoking cigarettes after cigarettes, trying to stay awake. And he's throwing them out the window, and they're coming back in the back window on me. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I said, all right, one more person. Sam Houston got in there. Of course, Sam was already lit. I was like, uh, pull the car over. I go, I can drink beer and drive. I know that. So I got in front and I drove us home. Everybody else, we pulled up. We pulled up back to the Sportatorium to get our cars. It was like nighttime for Bonzo. Everybody was out snoring, and there I am. I'm going, man, I slammed the door to wake everybody up. <laughs> <laughs> those old trips, man, I remember those well. <laughs> That Amarillo to Dallas, too, yeah. boy. That was Oh, down 287. Yeah, that was tough. I made it with Dick, though. We yeah, Was that before I-20 opened up? No, it was a different no. route. I-20 went straight out. 287 went up north to Amarillo. Uh, so yeah. I-20 went down, kind of down south, and went and went further south down to uh, Interstate 10 down in El Paso. 287 ran from Fort Worth straight up through Vernon and uh, Wichita Falls and all the way up yeah. to Amarillo. Yes, sir. What's Tim? What's Tim Brooks really? Uh, Murdoch's cousin or nephew or something like that? He claimed to. He, he claimed. claimed. <laughs> so, God, you're laughing. You're laughing. I never you saw a birth certificate, Mister Briscoe. <laughs> no, no, I've told this joke a million times. I've told Mister Briscoe this a million times, but he, I know you've heard it, Rod. Where, where Killer uh, would be in the dress room and Dick Murdoch would come in and go, "You know, Killer and I are cousins," and and he go. You know, Killer had sex with our neighbor's handicapped chickens. And, and Killer, Killer would look up and go, "Those chickens weren't handicapped." <laughs> that, was, that was their, that was their Ricky and Rob impression. They, they told that. Joke. <laughs> After a while, you've heard the same joke a hundred times, but it starts becoming funny because it's so repetitive. Yes, and they yes. saw it every time, like it's the first time they've ever told it. <laughs> And then those guys just those guys tortured Black Bart. Oh man, man, Dick Dick was the worst with it. You know yeah. when Bart heard you come in with your cowbell at the Sportatorium, he just he just throw his hat up and oh here we go that, that big long drink of tall glass of water there. Oh yeah, and a lot of times he called me that tall drink of shit, <laughs> and he would just snarl like he hated me when he'd say it. Every and time, I, every I would, time, and I'd sit right beside him just because I know he's saying it. 
He spit that trash. You know, I spent half my life spitting in a trash can. <laughs> yes, you do. Bart, do you remember? Do you remember John when you put a, when you put his gear on? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he couldn't <laughs> find his gear. Yeah. And I'm wearing it. <laughs> How did you get it? I, I stole it from him. I mean, he was there in his locker. I was right outside him. I put all his gear, I put his hat on, everything, and he's looking for it. And I'm sitting there wearing it. <laughs> yeah. All you damn taxes look the same anyway. <laughs> he told me, he goes, Johnny, I love you, but I'm going to find a patch of green grass. I'm about to teach you a lesson. <laughs> that was, that's him doing tea, man. We're yeah, find him. I go, Bart, how many times are you going to teach me a lesson? It doesn't do any good. Just look. <laughs> I loved Bart. Bart was Bart oh, yeah. you, every territory needs a black Bart. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's fun and everybody loves him. That was a great thing about the territory back then. Black Bart visited all of them. Man. That's so right. Black Bart there. <laughs> so, so, so tell me this story. This is a story I've been dying to hear. So you're you're sitting in a sportatorium, somebody don't show up, and then it walks as rookie. That you got to carry for his very first match ever. <laughs> Who was that guy? How did that happen in your words, not in Layfield's words? That was that famous Texer, Texan, that's your buddy, that big <laughs> tall glass of drink of water right next to you, man. John. John came in and uh, however however it worked out, James said, Well, you're, I, I, you're I, in the I, main I, event. I, Right, I mean, cut you off. I'm sorry, but what happened was Lou Perez couldn't make the show. You were supposed to work with Lou. You know who was Al's working cousin or something, and Lou couldn't <laughs> make it as a travel or something. So that's how they put me in as the surprise replacement. And John, I that wasn't the one that uh, you broke your knee brace on, was it? I don't think so. That was the first. That was my first. That was you the broke your knee so. brace on you. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Oh my God, I had that old clunky knee brace that from 30 years ago that he couldn't move in. <laughs> I hated that. Yeah, you that remember, was my first. Do you remember when that one went out? Oh, yeah. I shot you in the corner. You said, My knee brace is gone. My knee's out. I, I dropped every leg hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I couldn't. So how get up how stiff was that clumsy old Texan? Oh, my goodness. You know, Mr. Briscoe, you never had the pleasure of working. Him and Bobby Duncan Jr. in a tag oh, match. <laughs> I'd slam Bobby outside the ring on the concrete just to see if I could cool him down for a minute. Didn't work, did it? <laughs> I jumped on the ropes and I, I feel I feel Bobby's big hand on my shoulder. Boom. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> so much for that. <laughs> So I fail for you, my friend. <laughs> it was I, I got so lucky because I come down there looking for a job and Lou Perez doesn't show and I get stuck in there with you. I met the two right people. I met James Beard, who's been such a wonderful friend to me and everything to me for so many years. And then I got stuck in the ring with you who could work. So it was, <laughs> I had no we idea. Had, what I was, we had I a good idea night, what I was John. doing. I thank God I was out there with you. Well, I was thank God you at least you had some background. Some of these guys coming in. He had no background, man. He comes right straight from Brad Reagan. Just I've been trained at least. And he thought that's the way you're supposed to work. So, man, was he, how stiff was he in there? Oh, 
Oh, you know, <laughs> that expression made us at it all right. <laughs> I'm still recovering, Mr. Bristol. I'm and still, he's still recovering. stiff like that, too, from what I heard. <laughs> I just, you know what? Good thing that was before he had that clothesline from hell. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, you're going to take that. <laughs> well, when, I, when I started, uh, Gary Hart said, oh, you know this because I was from Sweetwater, Texas. I really am from there. Now, Barry Wendell and I think Blackjack claimed they were from there. I don't think Barry ever lived there. So he goes, you know, this is the cousin to Barry Wendell. And so I, you know, for years, I didn't know, I didn't, years, I didn't know if I had heat with Barry or not because everybody's telling me I'm the cousin of, I never said it, but Gary Hart did. So everybody, I got, you know, people like, oh, this is Barry Wendell's cousin. <laughs> now, I, I, didn't, I didn't deny it a bunch because <laughs> that was a pretty good thing. <laughs> I did the flying lariat like like Barry did at first. That's you know before I developed the the other one, the the softer version. Is yeah, that the, the softer <laughs> the softer <the> version. <laughs> I don't know though between Barry Wyndham's lariat and John's lariat, uh, only Stan Hansen can probably top those two. <laughs> I I think I totally agree. I mean, never had Barry, but <laughs> I've had Johns. <laughs> hey, a young Rod, John too, right? Rod, we were in Budokan and we're wrestling Stan and Bobby Duncan Jr. Me and Barry are, and uh, I think it's Budokan. And so anyway, they want to, you know, they want to hit Barry with the clothesline at the end. Hit me with it first, and hit Barry with it. And Barry comes in the dressing room, and his eyes busted open, his cheeks all swollen, <laughs> and Stan, Stan goes, "Thank you, Barry." And Barry, calm as he could be, he goes, "Stan, put on your glasses." and put on his glasses he looked up and he goes what happened to you <laughs> to you you saw a guy yeah. yeah like he had no idea that he just almost decapitated Barry Wyndham who was uh who was you some killer was booking when you were there who was was Al Perez the top guy when you were there yeah Al Perez was still was still on top uh, uh when he first got there I mean when I first got there, uh, of course, uh, Harry and Kevin, you know, they were still, still the show. Yeah. You know, and, but you had, uh, oh man, you're really making me think about uh, almost 37 years ago, John. It's a lot of beers. <laughs> yeah. A lot of miles of beers, yeah. You know, it's amazing. People tell me, say, hey, remember that match you had? I never had that match. Then they show me a I video and, it's, and I'm in the match. Like, yeah, I That's the only way I can remember too, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, you got your break. I didn't realize that this happened uh, until I started watching some of the stuff on you getting ready for the show, which is the cool part of the show because I got to watch a bunch of your uh, matches and tapes and stuff. Thanks. Was uh, you you broke, not broke in, you started in Texas by jumping Carrie. That's a pretty pretty big role to get in right away to to jump uh, the big Von Eric boy. I'm telling you, you know, uh, I, I got to thank Jerry Lawler. That was him and uh, him and uh, Jerry Jarrett's idea. Said I hadn't had a lot of TV exposure when I got there, so they said, "Hey, let's do this guy man out of the audience thing," and I was like. Show me what you know. Tell me what you want to do, and so I would I would go there and have that front row ticket, just bad mouthing him, keep bad mouthing him, you know. And of course, <laughs> Steve Austin. How, how told long me, How long did they work at where you're the the man in the in the crowd? I I worked. 
they worked that angle for about four or five weeks to where every week it got a little more heat, our exchange. You know, we, there was no contact, just a little more verbal heat, verbal gestures, you know. In the beginning, it was just me, one-sided. And then it got to the point where I was uh, getting a carry to where he was, we were exchanging. And the next week, you know, I made throw something at him, you know, make him confront me again until uh, I, <laughs> they had the thing uh, where I was going to, and they said, second time you see Carrie come down the aisle, I want you, you know, I want you to jump him. So second time I see him, I'm going to jump him. That's in my head. He comes down for a little pre-men match. They go to, they go to, uh, intermission. He comes down the same aisle to take pictures at the ringside with no cameras running, nothing. And in my mind, this is the second time I'm going to see him. So I jump him. I started wailing. <laughs> you talk about a look of cluelessness <laughs> in his eyes. <laughs> it was, you know, it was a shoot for him, but unfortunately, they didn't have the the cameras weren't rolling. They never got taped of it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do? We couldn't. Uh, we just went on to the match. They uh, they hyped it up that oh you know at intermission this and that. I think they had a little uh, video of me getting dragged out by security. Curly and Bill Caldwell were all dragging me out of the sportatorium and. Uh, we built up to the match uh, the week after that. Wow. Now, this is just right after the, the Von Eric and the Freebirds were all, all, off the chart gone? Yes, sir. That was right after, and this is right after, uh, I want to say 89, 88 is when they still had uh, World Class was still going, and then Jerry Jarrett and uh, Lawler bought it out. And switched over from world class to USWA. And how were they? Were they, were they drawn at that time still? Because at times, you know, they went, you know, off and on during that time. And I, I've told the story before. It went from being the class act of, of world class wrestling to being the B act of USWA. They they dropped the standards. You know, just what they didn't have the security. They didn't have a lot of the little things that world class had to up it. Plus, I brought in that Memphis style wrestling, which Texas didn't buy one bit. You know, wow, they very great. That's a great gimmicks. point. It was more gimmicks, more this and that, more comedy, I should say. You yeah. know, when, when I was coming up, you know. It's funny how how wrestling perceived, you know, to to I, I was of course uh, wrestling in school and everything. How wrestling, you know, you you had you had your Texas wrestling because I you know grew up in Oklahoma. It wasn't much about Oklahoma or Kansas or even Minnesota at the time, but you had Texas wrestling and you had New York wrestling. And you had Southern wrestling, but right. Texas wrestling was was looked at as man that was that was a fight when you went down there. <laughs> you yes, know? 
that's that's what I perception the perception of Texas wrestling always always stands out to me as you know that that was the wrestler when when you were a kid. We always yeah. waited for those south winds to blow so we could pick up wrestling from the sportatorium. <laughs> exactly, and and Red told me he said if you can if you can survive Texas wrestling, you can make yeah. it anyway. Yeah, exactly. You know, Ron, I always, I always thought that, you know, they talk about hardcore, you know, coming in in the mid-90s with ECW, and they did take it to a complete different level, but hardcore was there in Texas. I mean, that yeah, was, absolutely. It was, it was blood and guts. I, I mean, never Friday night was hardcore. Every <laughs> Friday, it was. And it was even worse if you had to work with John and Bobby Duncan Jr. <laughs> oh, man, I can only imagine that. <laughs> Bart, Bart tagged out one time, and Johnny goes, Johnny Mantell asked him, he goes, how are they? Bart goes, neither one can work. <laughs> <laughs> Probably had easier fight street fights than you had wrestle matches <laughs> <than> those two. <laughs> oh my goodness. Bart Bart would try to get Bobby to settle down. And you know, <laughs> I don't know if I listened any better. I thought I did because I was me. You know, but but, but Bobby was like a like the ever little energizer bunny. You know, he never stopped. He just constantly went, 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 went. And it would drive Bart crazy. <laughs> it's like, like the old saying when I was coming up in the business. Well, it was like a night off. The kicks were off, the punches were off, and everything else. <laughs> <laughs> just a little off then. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, working with John in, in that at that time when he was coming in was fine. And he was learning, and he was aggressive. And he he, I'd get in the ring and he'd want to call some spots, you know, and I'd give him a little bit and say, okay, I that didn't hurt too bad. <laughs> <laughs> he called a shot where he said, "Come in, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the big boot." So here I come for that big boot. What I didn't know he he was going to cock his knee about an inch. And when I come in, he was going to extend that knee. That's that spray loaded kick. <laughs> there's a kick and there's that spring loaded kick. <laughs> so I finally had to wrestle Bobby in Japan. You know, we tagged for all the, all, all that time together, lived together, everything, but I never worked with Bobby. And then I worked with Bobby and I go, now this is what everybody's talking about. <laughs> you, that, sure tag, that tag didn't hurt did it john sure he felt the same way <laughs> <laughs> so so when did you get when did you get hooked up with steve austin did you were you with steve first or with tatum first i was with steve first and that was after right after we did the carry uh with carrie carrie left to go to uh WWF or WWE at the time, and uh, they they said both have blonde hair. You know, you guys have a good look. We'll uh, put you in a tag and worked with uh, worked at the Sportatorium. Did the Memphis route. Uh, Gary Hart was running in uh, Fort Worth or Arlington, doing his own little Texas uh, Championship wrestling or something. And he would use us too. Plus, uh, I worked for Tom Jones out of Oklahoma for a while too during that time. So, between all that was in the area and where we had to travel, we were working almost every night. 
when you get paid a lot, but we were good, you know, we were good at experience. Did you <laughs> take it over to work for the Blanchards, Danny? I'm sorry, sir? Did you work for the Blanchards, Danny, over in uh, San Antonio? No, sir. No, sir. I think I by then, Jerry, they were. I think Joe was done by then. I think, I think. Joe Joe was finished. Uh, uh, Tom Jones was running, and somebody out of Texas, but it wasn't uh, or out of Texas. I say out of Houston, and uh, Gary Gary Hart used to take us down there to work for that promoter, and I can't think of his name. It wasn't the uh, promoter that was that was running, you know, back in the day. Bosch. It wasn't Bosch's group. No, it wasn't Bosch. But I guess uh, whoever it was always treated us well. Uh, Valentine comes to mind, but it, it may not. That might not be the name. Uh, yeah, you mentioned what kind of relationship did you have with with Gary, one of my all time best friend, Gary Hart? I mean, I love that guy to death, and what a guy to be with. I, I love traveling with Gary, and he would always say, "Rod, you know, just I know you're going to go out and have fun tonight. Just remember to bring Gary a little smoke tonight when you come in." <laughs> <laughs> I did every night. I I never smoked back then, and. And he would get up in the middle of the night and smoke a doobie, wouldn't he? I I came in at like three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and I knocked once. About five seconds, he was right there. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> come in, come in. <laughs> hey, he was there. Tell you a program that he had dreamed about. I met a guy who was so sharp, and he he drip wrestling twenty four seven too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He was always going, man. <laughs> I, I roomed with him one time down in, uh, I remember South Texas. I think you were on the loops. I can't remember who we were working for. Like the, a lot of the border towns down there on the Texas side. And I roomed with Gary. And, I think McCallum, wasn't it? I think that's right. I think it was. Yeah. Cause Kerry was down there. Uh, Von yeah. And I, I ended up rooming with Gary. It was, it was wonderful. Gary was, but he's just the ni nicest guy. Same thing. I'd come in, you know, staggering at two o'clock in the morning. He'd wake <laughs> up. He'd, Hit Smith just a little. Did you have a good night, my boy? And yeah. just as nice as he could be, nothing bothered him. <laughs> he was the uh, best. Come in, I'd come in and, uh, you know, I'd give him a smoke. I'd have a couple of beers in my pocket. You know, funny how that worked out. But I'd go in, and while he was rolling his little smoke, I'd drink a beer. We'd talk about tomorrow, the matches, and this and that, and said, well, my boy, have a good night. You know, if you need something, knock on my door. <laughs> wow, you were surrounded by, by greatness down there. Akbar, right. Akbar. I truly was, guy, man. I, what, what kind of friendship have you had with Skandor, Akbar? Very close. Uh, Ak used to give me bookings, uh, take me, he picked me up, had that rental car deal. So Ak always <laughs> yeah. uh I always drove one way. I usually <laughs> drove back. <laughs> but on that way, you know, on the way to the shots or how many days we were out, he would, uh, he had his restaurants. You'd go here. He goes, man, we need to take this exit. There's a, there's a good all-you-can-eat buffet right here. <laughs> he picked all that up from Danny Hodge because he used to be Danny Hodge's driver before, before I came along. And 
Hodge was like that. Akbar picked up all of Danny's habits, and they were all good habits because they they were they were real clean guys. But uh, Danny had his places where he'd go get his milkshakes. You know, I got I got to have my milk. Danny's got to have his yeah. milkshakes. So he, he there's a place down there, and he had to have a little waitress that would give him a piece of cherry pie or a piece of, a piece of apple yes. pie. Akbar yes, was the same way, right? <laughs> yes, sir. Absolutely. He had him. He had him. And, you know, of course, Ak, every waitress is sweet, sweetheart, dear. <laughs> oh, yeah. And yeah. we've been and we've been coming in, you know, the same week after week for so long. They knew Ak. They'd be, oh, oh, Ak, <laughs> you know, hugging all over him, slip him a piece of pie. <laughs> You know, Rod, I know you heard him do this because he loved talking like under his breath, double talk and carny talk all the time. Yeah. So anytime you'd yeah. see like a large person or an ugly person, because nobody knew my last name was Layfield, he would go, ah, Mrs. Layfield, you look great today. You must be going to the gym. <laughs> and he'd do that like 10 times a day or Mr. Lay Mr. Layfield looking good today. And the guy would, well, thank you, sir. And he just like it just it was nonstop. He was always going, always working. Always going. Always. And at Sportatorium, he'd find, you know, the selection of women at Sportatorium, especially on a hot August day, you know, act would come down. Miss Price, how you doing tonight? You know, smoking that cigar. she go, how'd you like to sniff? He'd pull me to the side by the ring. He goes, how'd you like to sniff those panties? <laughs> <laughs> Eck was constantly on. It was it was so fun to be around him because he was always yeah. in a good mood, always laughing, and he he loved the double talk, which you know hardly anybody yeah. does today. You know, they love that double <laughs> talk. Of, <laughs> it was so fun. John, do you do you remember? I, I feel like we're picking on Black Bart, but do you remember Eck telling the story about? We can't Harvard pick on Black Bart enough, though. <laughs> <laughs> The story about uh, Barbara Mandrell, John. Oh yes, yes, yes. Tell the story. Yes, yes. yes. Oh, 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 my goodness. Yes. Oh, please yeah. tell it. Please tell it, man. So I think I'm gonna get this right because I've, I've heard this a few times. From they're were they at a concert or they watching it on TV? Watching it on TV. So Bart is sitting there and he's sitting there and he's had a few beers and drink, just dipping his thing. Goes, that's just an angel act. That's just an angel. She's so beautiful. That's if an angel came down from heaven, she'd be Barbara Mandrell. She is just an angel. That's the most beautiful woman. The sweetest voice. That's what an angelic voice sounds like. And that part goes, Are you kidding me? She blew Bobby Jaggers. I'm not you talking. About. <laughs> and Bart got so mad he wanted to fight Ack. <laughs> that horror. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I, I roll all out. you got to do, all out. you had to do later in life was mention Barbara Mandrell around <laughs> Ack and Black Bart, and Bart literally would get so mad that he would almost want to fight Ack. Sweet Ack, you know, he's like 150 years old at the time. <laughs> Bart gets so mad. Don't you bring up nothing about Barbara Mandrell, and then Ack would just start. Oh, you hear about her, Bobby Jaggers? Her and Jaggers were not. <laughs> The first time I heard that, I, I, I still cry. when I, I laugh and I cry about it because it's so funny. But the first time I heard that, I was rolling on the ground, crying, laughing, just side aching. I was like, oh, it's just so classic for that day, that time period with those oh, guys. Yeah. 
And and Bart knows it's coming. Bart knows Axe working him up, and Bart would still get mad about it, just as mad as he did the first time. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was, that was so good. So, and so when, when Jared, Jared and Lawler bought out uh, Dallas there, did you go up to Memphis and, and work work for them, Manny? And how was yes, it? I, I did uh I did two different two different trips with uh well actually three. Uh, John and I were on the third one, but uh two different trips of, through the Memphis territories, you know, three six months was about as long as I could hang in that. Yeah. That was tough. That was a lot of miles. Yeah. Like you were saying earlier before I cut you open, I apologize, but uh uh, the, the style of, of working up there was so much different than it was in Texas. Like, yeah. They they gone into the entertainment by that time, where where more entertainment. Did did so, you? How did you find that style with, with uh, working with you with the way you worked? I was, you know, I was when I first started. I was more a technical type of wrestler, and always wanted to, you know, I was trained and taught and and still believe that, you know, you're telling a story, you're painting a picture. And my style and what they were doing were, it was night and day, you know, started that I always took wrestling serious. You know, I wanted, you know, I wanted to make it as believable as possible. I didn't, you know, I didn't want anybody to doubt that if I was selling for you or you were selling for me that, you were either beating the crap out of me or I was beating the crap out of you and make it believable. You know, Gary Hart always told me, the people want to believe, make them believe. But working in Memphis with uh, just all the hocus pocus they did, man, I just, <laughs> I I didn't get, you know, it, it rubbed me and I probably rubbed them because I, I you know, I'd rather beat somebody up with a chair sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, then to, uh, I'll bend over, you jack me with the ropes and the nut type thing. And I was like, uh, wasn't my style. Yeah. You know, watch, watching you, like John said, the great thing about this is we, we get to do research on, on the guys. And watching your style, it seems like Bill Watts, you would have been a natural fit with Bill. Did you ever hook up with Bill and pass through there or what? I, it was before my time. I, I came in, I... I played football. I guess I tried to play football just a little longer than I should have. And uh, I kind of, if I you got one thing to regret, I wish I would have left football earlier and got into wrestling sooner. Yeah. But I, I did miss. Uh, I hooked up with Tatum after, uh, after Memphis. Uh, in fact, USWA pulled out and Kevin started it again. He tried to run the sport to him again, which was a complete failure. It just wasn't of it. I don't Why think do you the think that was. He just didn't have the funds to back him or the, the talent. Think, to... Funding was a big part of it. I think maybe, and you know, this is just me me talking, that maybe he thought just by him being there was enough of a draw. Uh-huh. And the, and times were changing because the entertainment market was getting larger. You know, it used to be wrestling was like the thing to do, but we're getting into, uh, you know, middle 90s and you have more things, or, you know, more entertainment, especially 
in a better building than the sportatorium, you know. And I just don't think the funding and the way he did it um, were going to mix, and it, and it didn't. The TV, they didn't have good TV either. And, but nobody, nobody could have, like uh, Crockett, when he tried to come back in and do it in 95. That, I mean, I've seen some bad promotion. Well, why did you think that promotion fell so quickly, too? And it, wasn't, it wasn't a long, drawn-out thing. It was quick. They just fell. <laughs> it, it had a sudden death, Mr. Fresco. Yeah. It was, you went from all the music, from the intros to the guys, to <laughs> turn back that clock to the 50s with no music, yeah. Dead, cold entrance. You know, the announcer announces the wrestlers, you come out. Mm -hmm. And people were already conditioned, you know, for the music, a little more entertainment style for for the wrestling. One and the now you're things, trying to, you're turning the clock back. One of the big things with Kerry was you come out to Iron Man. I mean, and people went crazy, you know, and, and all of a sudden you take that away from them like Mr. Crockett yes. did. You know, I understand what he was trying to do, but and I was there for a lot of that with with Mr. Yes, yes. And, you know, another thing he did was you remember we had huge crowds, but they were giving away the tickets, right? And and, and that was a lot of uh, that was a lot of uh, GWF. That was, uh, but we were you know they were making money off of parking, they were making money off concessions. They figured, hey, we're going to fill the arena, right? And, which they were filling it, but you know their tickets were nearly all free. But they're making money off parking, they're making money off concessions, and then Crockett says no more free tickets, and people yeah. weren't, people weren't <laughs> it's off. He cut, you know, he had parking and concessions, and I can't remember what TV he had, but it was it was a weak TV too, yeah. and and it didn't last. That thing was on, uh, it was on his last leg. From the minute the curtain jerk. From actually before they got in there. <laughs> hey, we, we worked the Heart of Texas Arena yeah. one time down there in Waco. I'm sure you're on the card when uh, they had like 47 people there because the, <laughs> the guys, the guys, that arena holds 14,000, Jerry. 14,000. Wow. <laughs> they had 47 people there because the promoter got mad at Crockett for some reason and wouldn't even put the wrestling on the billboard. So I'm working <laughs> with Greg Valentine. I'm thinking, man, this is, uh, is going to be a night off. Uh -huh. Johnny Valentine shows up and because his dad was there, Greg beat me to death for half an hour. <laughs> Listen, these 47 people obviously don't matter to you. The one guy there does, but please quit beating me up. <laughs> Al, Perez, Al Perez and I did a two out of three fall for sick paid customers. Wow. <laughs> I still I still to this day think it was a rib because we had to go 25 minutes. Oh, the crowds, <laughs> the crowds were so bad. Because uh, Crockett had just, you know, things have been run a certain way in Texas. People were used to it. The crowds were terrible. And I'm working with Greg Valentine. And Johnny, for some reason, Valentine, his dad, is showing up to all these arenas. Well, Greg, in front of his dad, is a different person. I mean, yeah. he, turned, he turned into freaking Kimbo Slice. <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with you? Uh, did did John did Johnny uh, Johnny Valentine did he ever catch you in the back of the sportatorium when he was sitting around with the boys? No, did he, he never. Grab you? I was in I was an hour long matches with Johnny Valentine. Oh, God bless. I, you. I went. I, I finally I was in Carolinas. I had the Mid-Atlantic belt or whatever belt it was called, the Eastern Mid-Atlantic, whatever. I can't even remember the name of it. But anyway, 
I was one night it was Valentine, the next night it was Don Jardine the spoiler. And every they every night George Scott his 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 thought of a great finish was an hour Broadway. So I went like something like seventeen Broadways in a row with Johnny Valentine and, and Don Jardine. After about number sixteen or seventeen, I went up to George Scott. I said, George, did I have heat with you? He said, no, <laughs> no. Why? Why? I said, You're friggin' telling me every night I'm on our Broadway Johnny Valentine and Don Jardine. He looked at me, he said, Have you learned anything? I said, That's not the point. I'm dead. I'm, I'm getting ready to die. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, that uplift that he used to have given in the corner there. Woo, it knocked your feet down. I don't know if you ever experienced that one. He, uh, Mr. Briscoe, he would catch him in the back. Uh, you know, he, he was uh, crippled up then. Uh, and he would go up and watch my matches, come down, and for the next 20, 30 minutes, he would chop me. He would uh, show me how to throw a punch. He would uh, he'd rough me up. I'd look out of the corner of my eye, and Greg was, you know, he was kind of smirking, thinking, thank God it's not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he did teach me, you know. Yeah, he taught he me was things that I teacher, knew. Don, he was a great teacher. And I, I, I appreciate it. It was just, it was, it was a running rib with, with Greg and I. He's like, I go, Greg, is your dad going to be good tonight? He's like, yeah, you better watch out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Medusa told us a story about when they first dated, they went out with Johnny and for a, a night out on a, a dinner in a nice restaurant and stuff. And she feels something, you know, splashing on her feet. She thought, what in the world? And Greg's laughing. Johnny was taking a leak under the table. <laughs> yeah, and you know, Johnny, Johnny, Johnny had the sense of humor, and he was such a tough guy. I'm like, yeah. I'm scared of Johnny. <laughs> Mr. Briscoe, did he ever uh, pee in your beer or pee in your boot? <laughs> no, I, I I tried to stay away from that. <laughs> but I, my my Johnny Valentine story after he was in, in an airplane crash, he would book her down here in Florida for a while. So we were running St. Pete Bayfront Center over over in St. Petersburg, for so everybody was there was a little nook there that everybody could go and see. It had like a three sets of double doors, so that the guy in talent would sit right there and watch out and watch the matches. So Johnny, being Booker, you know he wanted to see the matches. So we'd set him a chair out there so he could see see the ring perfectly. So he's sitting there when we're, we're all sitting on the step and behind him there, and we're watching this this whole situation play out. So this cop comes in, this local cop comes in. He stands right in the middle of the doorway. Well, Johnny's got those braces on. You see Johnny kick his leg in, take his brace, or his crane, and kick his brace out, pop it into place, do the other, pop it into place, get on his crutch, walk up, and he tapped the uh, cop on the shoulder, and you could hear him, hey, hey, sir, I'm, I'm sitting in that chair. I got to watch the match. Would you mind moving? Cop would move over. Johnny go back, pop his braces back out, sat down in, in his chair, and the cop would start enjoying the matches and ease his way back over where Johnny was sitting. Well, Johnny, as you know, he chewed that, that, that red man all the time. Right. So he got a big chaw in his mouth. So pretty soon that cop's there. You see Johnny push himself up, push the braces out, go up, and he goes, 
just spits a big old load of that juice right in the back of the cop's neck. Man, that cop turned around here. The cripple man just spit in the back of your neck. He ain't going to hit no cripple man. <laughs> Plus, he's got Palatine. And he starts apologizing to Johnny the whole time. He wiped the damn sure. Johnny did like nothing. That turned around, popped his crunch it back down, sat in a chair, and watched the rest of the match. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Got the apology, too. <laughs> the only guys I was like really ever nervous around were Johnny Valentine and Mr. Fuji. You know, because those are the two guys I thought, bro, they, they ain't got a filter. They, they, if they want to get me, they're going to get me. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> so I just sit there and watch them the whole time. Just, just watch them. Wise decision. <laughs> yeah. You know, that Tatum was, what an under, I don't know about underrated. He was over, but what a, what a great hand uh, John Tatum was. Hollywood. Unbelievable. Oh, uh, you know, I give John taught me how to how to read a crowd. John, his psychology and you know people nowadays they don't know how to do it. You go out, you get a feel for the crowd. You know, it's like people want to come in and say, "Oh, I want to do this, I want to do that." It's like John would say, "I don't know what they're buying. Let's go." You know, we'll see when we get out there. We'll see when they get out. And he just working with him just showed me so much about. You know, let's see with the crowd, reading the crowd, feeling for a crowd, and and adding the psychology into a match. You know, it, it was amazing. John, John, besides being a ball, just a lot of fun. John was, uh, he knew the business. You know, you know that's how Freebird got into the business was John Tatum. Uh, <laughs> you know, apparently, Michael. And I'm not telling I, everybody tells Michael Hayes stories. I only tell them if Michael's okay with them. Michael's told this. Apparently, Michael was like the weed hookup for guys <laughs> at the Pensacola Fairgrounds when Michael was like 15 years old. So <laughs> I don't think it would surprise anybody. So you know, he and he and John were friends. His dad owned the fairgrounds in Pensacola where the wrestling was, and that's how Freebird ended up getting into the business. <laughs> Did you ever run across Freebird, Eddie? Yes. Uh, Michael was gone, but Gordy and Buddy were still around. And I was able to I was able to work with uh with Terry and Buddy a lot. I, good matches. Michael came in, we did some uh uh we did some benefit shows around Texas. Uh at that time they had those Storms going, uh, tornadoes ripping through Colleen, Texas. I mean, it just devastated that area. And they put on a big card and brought the Freebirds in to to work that. Actually, worked the Von Erichs before uh, Carrie Car was gone. <clears throat> but yes, sir, I did. I I was able to spend a little time with them too, and That's just a learning special. experience there in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Experience in the ring and out of the ring. How's that? <laughs> exactly. Hey, I've told uh, Bam Bam's daughter, Miranda, many times that I, everything yeah. I've got, I, I stole from Bam Bam. You know, like, <laughs> I remember working with Bam Bam one time, and I'd stolen so many things from him. I'm sitting there thinking, I'd forgotten where I stole it. I'm sitting there thinking, he's get, he's stealing all my shit. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, he's, 
why is he doing all my moves? And I literally, and if you had to work with him, what would you do? <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized, I realized like a, like an idiot. I go, you know, wait a minute. I stole that from him. <laughs> what a, that bam, bam. I mean, that's God's gift to wrestling. What a great yeah. worker he was. A big man that could work. Him and Doc, him and him and everybody were so good. I had I able I did a tag match with uh it was Doc and and Bam Dr. Bam. Death, and, for those that don't know. Yeah, <laughs> Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and and Bam Bam against Tatum and I. And you know, I I loved I love their physicality, you know, in the match, you know, roughing it up and, you know, working, you know, not, I always thought I worked snug, not stiff, but <laughs> snug. If you thought you worked snug, you were snug. <laughs> but John, you know, John would take it, but he didn't, you know, he'd rather, he'd rather be a touchy feeling, you know, but we, we had a good match, but John didn't like it that night, but working, Working Terry and uh, Dr. Death, man, what a privilege that is, too. Just great guys, great people in and out of the ring. And Bam Bam, just amazing how big he was to move like he could. It was just, he could have he done anything he wanted in, in professional sports, you know? Yeah, I agree. And, and when he was, well, he was with anybody, he was good. But with the, the Freebirds were so good when you had, of course, Jimmy Garvin was great too. But the original group with Buddy, you, you had everything. You had, you had the talk. They had something for everybody that threes from there. That's right. Absolutely. I always thought, you know, in, in the wrestling business, there's you know certain guys that come along that change the business. I always thought they changed it because they were yes. the first, like, they heel did. attraction. You know, before that, you just had, you know, fire, bad, water, good. You had, you know, your baby faces and your heels. But those right. guys those guys were some of the first cool, you know, Magnum TA was the same, kind of the same time up in the Carolinas. But your first cool bad guys, uh, you know, were the, were the free birds. Yeah. Because yeah. unless and they wrestled the Von Erics, they were cheered. And they had to turn them. Yeah. Yeah. They had to turn them. But it was a good time. You know, it was a, I look at it as kind of, you know, from Mr. Bristol's era, as far as territories and, and work in the territories and all that. What a what a wonderful time for the for the guys, but you know, the the workers that were involved in that, the stories they have, you know, I'm a huge story guy, but I, I if I, if I had to do it my way again, if I could have born, been born a little earlier to work more of the territories, that would have been my wish. Yeah, yeah that, that was a time that we're, we're, I was so blessed to come up during that time frame, you know, and, uh, and I got the experience that because I was, I was right, you know, when I started the territories, you know, the, the business was so different back then. And I know the young guys hate to hear that, but I came along in an era where where there were a lot of really old timers in the business, you know, when I, when I started, my brother started, we were the young pups in the business. We really were, and uh, we got to experience those car rides with the Sputnik Monroes, uh, the Great Bolos, and guys like that. Experiences that you'll never forget, and they'll never be duplicated. And listen to the, you know, Luther Lindsay tell about the about the the racial slurs that he had to go through, and Thunderbolt Patterson 
<laughs> going up and down the road with him and seeing it firsthand, you know, how it was for for a minority guy to be, be in the business. It was a wonderful time to experience. I, you know, I know it wasn't that wonderful for them every day, but the, um, they were so successful at it that people respected them down the line there. But it, it was just, it was, it was a beautiful time to be in the business. And, and, and I, 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 that's a, I know. That I'll always treasure. If, if I could go back in time, I'd love to, I'd love to experience that. Act used to tell me about, you know, the, how different it was in coming up. And You know, Rod, the one know? guy that was a rock star that always came in, and I, I think you'll feel the same way, was Bronco Lubitsch. Yeah, yeah. Bronco. Oh, yeah. You know, when he walked in, you just knew that's somebody special. You know, it's just like <laughs> everything about him was old school. Everything about him was classy. I mean, it just, it was so cool to be around Bronco. You know, John, you're right. When those old timers walked in, they walked in with set profession and, and their step and the way they carried themselves, you know. And you know, you know, growing up, you you always picked a couple of guys, man, I won't be just like that. I'd see Lou Thayer, or I'd see Danny Hodge walk in a building. They'd be dressed out, they'd be carrying that suitcase, they'd open their suitcase. You watch every move that they make, you'd watch how they open their suitcase. You'd watch where mm -hmm. they set their cause. You'd watch how they took out their equipment. I mean, everything about them, you wanted to learn and you wanted to suck in your brain there. Right. Oh, absolutely. I, I could only imagine. I, I remember being, Mr. Briscoe, I remember being very young in the business and having Bronco as my referee. And I'm all hot. I have these ideas about how I'm going to get over and, you know, how I'm going to be the big. You know, and I'll never forget it. I'm out there trying to get heat, trying to, you know, everything wrong to get heat. <laughs> Rocco says, knock it off. <laughs> That's great. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> you know, one thing about riding with Akbar and, and Killer was they, they were, they knew I don't know about their role, but they knew what how the wrestling business always passed down information. So they're always trying to educate. Yeah. You remember right. Act telling me about Luthez and how Luthez would come through the box office. He wouldn't go through the back, you know, so right. the fans would see him in his suit. And then he walked to the dressing room, you know, and when he walked out, it just you knew that was the main event. You know, those old guys, the ones that really got over, they were just a different breed. And, and it was cool to see Bronco because you, you just knew he came from a different era. And oh, it was yeah. a cool era. It was such a privilege, you know. You you came in and I I, I always cut my mouth shut. I'd listen to his <laughs> stories, you know. Well, we did too, man. Back then we did too. <laughs> Just shut up and listen, Rod. That's what I was told. <laughs> but I enjoyed the stories. Act used to tell me, you know, about his day and and uh, working territories, working here, working there. Him and Danny, Danny Hodge together said they, they were, were they were a pair that was so fantastic to watch together. Act Act was the perfect side man for for Danny too. <laughs> Act would tell me about Danny going in uh, going in the hardware stores and snapping the snapping the pliers. Yeah, give me your best pair of pliers. pliers. <laughs> give me your best pair of pliers. <laughs> But I don't he, think there was a hardwood store between uh, Tulsa and Little Rock, Arkansas that Danny did go in and tell <laughs> Act told me, every, you know, they usually had Sunday off. Yeah. 
And he, he said Danny would get the Sunday paper. And, you know, a lot of people don't remember how thick a Sunday paper was. Right. But he would crumble it up sheet by sheet. Yeah. And work on that grip. I, I, I remember him telling me that. And I was Danny, yeah. Yeah. And Danny, and Danny also, every town we're going to, he would tell, he'd tell one of the referees or one, one of the guys uh, setting up the ring, go get me the phone book. Why do you need a phone book? Just go get me the phone book. They bring the phone book to Danny. He came in, oh, you know, it's big town, you know, Little Rock, you know, that thicker phone book. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this big phone book. He did take it. Start. Wow. They're ripping <laughs> right now. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Hey, Rod, you remember Otto Vance could do that, the phone books? I didn't get to see him do it. I, I knew he could. Yeah, I saw and him. I, always, I always said, man, I want to see it. I want to see it, but I never got I think the year before you got there, I was with him on some appearance down in Austria. It was some special deal. I can't remember what it was. And they brought him a bunch of phone books. And literally, it was like ripping a piece of paper in half. I mean, it was really impressive. Because yeah. at one point, somebody said he had a, a record for rec ripping phone books in half. But it was a record. A Guinness Book of Records. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he'd, he'd break the binding. Yeah. And then there were the gimmicks of that, and I never learned the gimmicks, especially the thick ones, you know. But uh, there, you're right, John. They were you, know, you get that binding and you you bind it in a certain direction. Yep, he'd break all, the binding and then he'd rip that phone book in half, and and he ripped about three or four in half, and he was a hundred percent covered in sweat when he was done. Hard, hard was different. Hard, hard wouldn't wouldn't work the phone book. He would just take it two hands and just start start for, for start like that and just. It wow. rip it right out. Wow! It, 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 what 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 a what a sight it was to see the people's faces when when they <laughs> You would still belt tires come out. You know they weighed like three hundred pounds a damn tire. Yeah. Hard hard went and he was talking to the guy at the service station. We're getting gas. Those those new steel belt, yes sir, they're indestructible. Nothing can do. Hodge takes it and he starts playing it like a damn court. <laughs> 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 we're all on faces. Oh man. <laughs> hey Rod, you know a story I forgot, and uh, we had Missy Hyde on, who was fantastic. Uh, you know, I know she was a manager for you and, and Tatum. Yes. Um, she told me, asked me a story about, about when Metal Maniac. Uh, went, <laughs> I, I, didn't, I forgot all about it. When he went out and took a picture with Carrie Von Eric, he stood in the Polaroid line and took a picture and paid for the. He, went, he left the dressing room. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> Do you remember? I think it was you and Bobby. I act sent you guys out to bring him back. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's that right. That, that's right. I forgot about. It. Yes. Yeah. We were, we we were, watch, we were watching. We were watching the monitor, and uh, <laughs> and he goes out to get an autograph and act. You know, act. Oh, what the hell's going on here? Get Duncan and Johnny Hawk over here. Go get that son of a gun out there. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We had to go get him. <laughs> yeah. I forgot all about that. <laughs> I wonder if he still has the autograph. <laughs> Maybe. That was a tough one. <laughs> you know, I mentioned Otto Vons. What a great territory that was in Europe. I mean, that uh -huh. was... 
you know, if we could have made money there, I'd have worked there the rest of my life. That was so much fun to be over there. You know, we may have made money actually, but you know, the money was decent. It wasn't like, you know, we weren't broke over there. We money was decent, but you know, money, what, money, money was decent. Uh, you know, you learn to learn to cut angles, <laughs> you know, you probably agree. You know, you work the same place every night. So every one of your matches had to be different. And that, that's, that's when you learn how to work there. Yes, sir. Absolutely. That working working there with uh, with the with the talent they had, Tony St. Clair. Oh, wow. So working with uh, Dave Taylor, and and uh, yeah, I Dave, went blank. Luke Poirier, who was Rambo, uh, Gustel Smeezel, Font Franz. Yeah. I mean, you're so much great talent over there. It was unbelievable. And we're able to work them every night, you know, different, different styles, different, different ways to, to work. And it was, it was special times. What a learning ground it was, you know, for me, I, you, you get to a point if you're in a territory for me, if I was in a territory too long, I was getting stale. So it was time for me to move on to, to work against new talent. And man, that was like open up a new education for me working working for Otto in Europe over there. Yeah, I remember when we were standing in the parade the first time I was there. Mick McMichael, the referee who wore the kilt all the time, uh -huh. I, I look over there. He probably did it to you too. And I look over there, and he's lifted one leg and put it behind his back, so he looks like he just has one leg. And I'm, out, <laughs> I'm out there trying to be this heel, and I look over there, and I just bust out laughing. <laughs> like when you first see it, it was funny. They had so many ribs and jokes, you know. And the, every night, every day, the the parade, the parade itself, it was like you had to you had to keep your eye out. All right, what's going all on? All the time, all the time. <laughs> Guys had too much time on their hands, and there yes. was, it was there was a rib every day about on something. Well, there was no, you know, John. We stayed in we stayed in those towns like. 60 70 days in a row wow and there's no travel you know you walk out your your caravan to the to the building that was your travel right so there was a lot of downtime for yeah, us yeah if you had to be there at five, if you had to be there at 5 30 you could leave your caravan at 5 29 and 45 seconds and get there on time, get there on time. <laughs> yeah there wasn't a lot of travel none <laughs> well, you know John, what I, John has told me a story about you that I want to hear from you, and it involves uh, Chris Adams. And John, yes, you sir. want to take it, take it? Home? No, no, I, I don't remember if I was there or not. It was, uh, you know, I, I, obviously, I think well, it was John. We talked earlier. I'm going, I'm going to put you in the story. <laughs> <laughs> you, you remember events? You forget if you're places or not. You know, and some people say, you weren't there. I go, yeah, I was. I wasn't there, so. Anyway, as a match with you and Chris Adams, and something just went horribly wrong. It, I mean, <laughs> well, a, a mistake that from what I understand. <laughs> well, what happened? <laughs> uh, what happened? <laughs> I was having, I was having, you know, I was at that point. They put Steve and I together, I guess, because we were both blonde at the time and both losing our hair. So uh, I was a little. I guess I was a little more uh, self-conscious. So I started thinking of ways, man, what can I do? Uh, rub stuff in my hair, this and that. I went I went to the hair club guy. And he's like, well, you know, we can do this or we can do that. 
And I'm thinking, man, they're going to yank up my hair. They're going to pull on it. You know, you got to give me a better option. <laughs> so he goes, all right. So he gives me, he goes, man, I got this thing. We're going to, we're going to weave it in. And when we do that, we're going to use a special super glue to hold it in. And they did it. And, you know, they're pulling on it. They're pulling on it. It's like, you know, as long as you can't let somebody yank, but, you know, if they grab your hair, you're going to be all right. So, oh, man, I got a new leech on life, man. I got my hair back. <laughs> I'm just thinking, whoo, here we go. And it went. And it was the worst thing, Mr. Briscoe, because uh, <laughs> blonde hair, I, probably when John got in, there was probably an inch of my blonde hair every time in that ring, man. It was just <laughs> everywhere, constantly having to go in and get the same yeah. place. And I'm like, ah. But leading up to that, uh, Chris Adams, I came in that night and he's like, he wanted to do a judo match. And I was like, we haven't built up for it. There was no angle. We were still doing a, you know, we'd still been going back and forth with our little angle, but there was no buildup for a judo match. This one night he wants to come in and say, all right, put on this. We're doing a judo match. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. There's no buildup. Why? No, no rhyme, no reason. And how oh, after he finally convinced me, I said, all right. So we're working it out, and he was going through a bad time with uh, one of his wives. I think that I can't remember which one it was, but they were really having problems. With and uh, he told me before while he was getting dressed, they were he'd leave and go. I could hear him arguing in the hallway. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this match is just going to suck six weeks of Sunday, you know? And every time he comes in, he's he's angrier. I was like, look, man, I don't want to do this match to begin with. And you're not in the right mood. You know, your head's not in this thing. And, you know, let's just, let's just do something else. He insisted. Got in the match. He had... Really, his his anger had really stirred up. I don't know if it's at her and me or me because I didn't want to do the the judo match. But anyway, you get in there, man. Out of nowhere, he just he stiffs me just right off, and I'm like, oh, oh, you want a judo match, do you? Uh -huh. So I flippered him like like he <laughs> when I hit him, he flew back and split his lip, and here we go. Here we go. The spuds just start flying, man. And and he threw me out, and I was getting ticked, man. I was about, about to lose my cool. And I was on the outside of the ring, and he reached down and snatched that off me. And when it did, it ripped where, where, it was, where the seam of the glue was on both sides of my head, where the arteries are, yeah. ripped it. And man, I could feel, I could feel when you get that deep cut and it doesn't bleed right away. Oh, yeah. But you know it's going to be bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I got. I got in and I, I think I threw uh, the judo thing on my head because I was like thinking compression. 
And I went out the backside and man, I started bleeding like a pig. I went to, uh, I went to, uh, I think it was Park Memorial Hospital in Dallas. And they put 209 stitches in my head. Wow. Oh my goodness. They had to call in a neurosurgeon to, to stitch up my head because the arteries were broke. Wow. Oh, you're lucky, lucky you didn't die. Yeah. Yeah. And Chris called me that night. And I was like, I'm not in the mood to talk. I didn't want to do the match. Now you do something stupid like this. He's like, all right, all right. All right. He, hangs up. he hangs up. Bart will tell you, Chris went back, grabbed his gear, and left the building. Wow. He never gave me a chance. Because if I had been bleeding like a pig, he was going to be bleeding like a pig when I left. You know? Wow. Yeah. But later on, uh, we did a match, and he was calling me a week up to the match. In fact, I still got the little uh, picture of it, uh, Adams versus Christ hair match. <laughs> but uh, leading up to that, he called me and was, oh, you know, please, please, you know, forgive me, this and that. I was like, of course, Chris. You know, bygones are bygones at wrestling. And we worked, and he was just waiting for me to just to receive him. You know, it's one of those things where you're, please just receive me, and let's get it over with so we can move on, you know? And I, I, I let it go. You know, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't bring it out. We were doing TV that night, so I didn't want to do anything unprofessional. The next week, we did a show in Ardmore, Oklahoma, and the buildup was he was doing a uh, tough man contest and he was a referee angle was I was going up there to, because the TV was coming up there. I was going up there to harass him at this uh, tough man contest in the main event to build up for the show the next night. I got up there <laughs> and it's a boxing ring. Boxing rings are hard and they're not connected at the corners. I shot him in and I backdropped him over the top rope onto the ground in a rodeo ring and it ended up breaking three of his ribs. Whoa. And I felt bad, kind of, Mr. Briscoe, be honest. I was still very angry, but uh, I felt bad, kind of. Kind of. But, uh, you know, for what he had put me through and put my family through at the time, you know, I thought uh, my wife walked right past me at uh, when I was in the emergency room. She didn't even recognize me. I was I was bloody from head to toe, still in my ring gear, and she didn't she couldn't even recognize. Me. So when when I broke his ribs, I was really thinking, you know, kind of. What goes around comes around, Chris. And I had another accident with him about a, a week after that. I ended up breaking his arm too. So, oh, holy shit! So we uh, we we had a better understanding when we got in the ring about three weeks later with each uh -huh. other. And so it took about three weeks to get over it, uh, and uh, about three weeks to get it out of my system. Yeah, I don't blame him one bit. Yeah. <laughs> What you know, I just remember 
hearing about it, you know, and so whether I was there that night or not, I don't know if I, I wasn't there for that because I didn't. You drove me. You drove me to the hospital, John. You don't. That's right, I drove you to the hospital. <laughs> you, know. you said you were going to walk him into the store. I remember the time I was in Rod's corner and drove him to the hospital, <laughs> and I was the one that actually ended up stitching him up because the doctor was busy. So it's. <laughs> I like it. You took it's the hair my book. seriously put it on the bed tray there, so they could find yeah. it. The Secret Service could find it later, right? <laughs> well, Rod, it, it it all healed up, right? I mean, it all healed up. It looks like yeah. fine. Yeah, you know, the Lord took care of me again. John healed me up, and uh, so I'm gonna ask a stupid question. You still got the hair piece? No, but if <laughs> caveman John, if you remember caveman, well, yeah, yeah very well, yeah. He, he has it. <laughs> really? It's out there. Oh my goodness! What a what a piece of memorabilia that is. I'm telling you. What a, what a what a demented person to keep that. I know, but he <laughs> yeah. was. Like, there's the hair. I'm going to keep it. I mean, what, that that that's not a normal person that thinks about that. No. I, think was, I think he had a little Indian in him from Oklahoma. Oh, wait a minute. Oklahoma. You know, I, I, I can't top that story, but I've worked with Tony Moreno. He wore a hair piece. He didn't have the weave. And a guy wasn't selling nothing I was doing. I was coming back to next week for, for I guess, a race or, or one of those guys, a bonker race or something like that. And Marino wasn't selling nothing I was doing. And I noticed his hairpiece started slipping and slipping and slipping. So I'm going to get him to sell. So I grabbed that hairpiece and I ran back. I'm left. To, I hit him as hard as I can in the cheek. He goes down. And I got the damn hairpiece in my hand. <laughs> then I panic. You know, I'm panicking. And everybody's just busting out laughing. I go over and try to put that damn hairpiece back on his head. <laughs> He takes and throws it out in the damn box. He's just damn mad at me. I thought he was going to kill me when we got back to the dressing room. <laughs> but he saved me. He said, I've been wanting to get rid of that damn thing forever. <laughs> well, yeah, I think after that, I think uh, when I went to, when John and I went to, well, when, next year after John was there a year, I went there in 95. And it was like, man, I got to get rid of this thing. This thing's killed me. So, it was a perfect time and to, to unfold to come out, you know. <laughs> so you and you and Steve Officer ended up the same way. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> in fact, and Steve had just left WCW and Otto wanted to use him in Bremen for the uh, anniversary show, you know, the end of the year show. And I called Steve and, and it was timing when Steve was just talking with Vince about coming up to be the ringmaster. And that's <laughs> and that's the first time he said, uh, I go, what are they going to call you? And he said, ringmaster. I said, ringmaster? <laughs> he goes, yeah, we're going to work on that. But yeah, we both ended up bald though, sir. <laughs> Yeah, when I went in there, Steve was, I don't know how he came up with the idea of Stone Cold, but they, they started about thinking different names about different things, you know, a real like cold-blooded person. Ice Dagger was one of the names they mentioned oh, to him. Man. <laughs> John, 
John, I was actually on the telephone with him sitting in this same, same probably a different chair, but in the same office right here when he came up with, with Stone Cold. Really? Yeah, well, I called him because Vince called me and he said he, he hates your ringmaster. Call him. Don't lose him. You guys come up with something he's happy with. So I called him and he, he, he yeah, his wife at the time just bought a case, brought a case of beer in. He finished a case of beer and then they, then he come up, they come up with that stone cold, you know, off that movie. <laughs> wow. <laughs> best that's a great best that's ideas. Great. How many, how many wrestling ideas have come up over beer? Oh man. I, I, <laughs> I wish we, I wish we had an encyclopedia of beer. Stories. <laughs> Beer, beer and Briscoe. Those are the yeah, two. Beer and Briscoe. Beer, Briscoe, and Bradshaw. Yeah, B, man. <laughs> That's right. You know, it's unbelievable. When Steve came in, you know, he was – we all knew how good he was. You know, he's he's always been that good. You know, it just – you had him stuck in that and just didn't work. You know, it, you had – it was a crazy time. You know, Kane was a dentist and, you know, Hunter was an aristocrat. I mean, he had a bunch of guys that were <laughs> – you could tell we're really good workers, but for whatever reason, the, the what they were in wasn't working. You know, right. it, yeah. sometimes I remember, Steve, I remember on Steve Vince told me, I don't want to lose it. We, we can't lose this guy. He, yeah. He's going to he's he's make some money. money. We didn't know how much money. We didn't have a clue that it was going to be that much money. But Vince knew right away, I don't want to lose this guy. And, and I, so you stay on the phone with him until he comes up and you guys come up with something that he can live with. And, we did <laughs> probably Excellent. an hour and a half, two hour Excellent. conversation. Man, that's that's awesome. That's a good story in itself, man. <laughs> yeah, so and cool. then uh, you know, Freebird was the one that kind of spurred the whole Austin three sixteen thing. Not that he came up with it, but you know, he's the one that buzzed Steve when he came back because you know Steve got his lip busted open, had to go to the hospital, get sewed up, come back, and then Michael Hayes, the one that that buzzed him, and said, "Hey, Jake, cut a religious promo on you. Just let him know that Jake had done this, so he could had a way to answer it." Then. You know, on the fly, he comes up with that Austin 316. And, uh, man, <laughs> we sure are thankful he did. Yeah, <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, it just it went crazy after that. I mean, any building you stuck his name on, he sold it out. I anywhere in the world. Anywhere. What a time. he man. went on was, I don't know how. You might have somebody that might equal it. Nobody's ever going to top it. Now, when, when when you teamed up with him, I mean, I, I know you saw the talent because it, it was easy to see the guy was that talented. But did 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 you ever did what what did you see and and Steve when you were attacking him? Well, I saw I saw his dedication, I saw his athletic ability, and just for me, what amazed me about Steve was he was could learn so quick, you know, and. He would he would see something. We'd watch film. We'd watch film from Portland territories. You know, if we weren't working after the gym, after we ate, we were having a couple of beers. There were no home. YouTube at that time. Where were you watching your film at? The... We at at my house with James Beard. The old, the old cassette tapes, right? Or not cassette tapes? Oh, OVHS, OVHS out of yeah. Portland. Uh, yeah, out of Portland, uh, Oregon, with. Uh, it wasn't the older, it wasn't the Piper era. It was, it was uh, like the nineties, right before that territory died, you know, had, yeah. had uh, Adams and still had uh, Raven was still up there. Yeah. Scott was still up there, but it was, we were able to see what was going on 
and there was still Matt Bourne was still up there, as a matter yeah. of fact. Matt was a terrific worker, too. Oh, man. And and there's another talent that, that, that uh, helped me out. I know he helped Steve out. Uh-huh. But, you know, Steve was just so amazing, man. I, I was so happy. Nobody, <laughs> after eating a bag of potatoes, I quit that territory, that Memphis territory, that he came back, man, and he was like... When you're making no money, when you're making no money and you're you're eating a potato a day to survive it, that's a dedication to stay there and learn learn your trade. Unbridled, and he was a better man than me because I was like, "Uh, I ain't doing that. And Steve stuck with it and had a bag of potatoes, man. I go, what are you doing? I go, come on, let me buy you a burger. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the first time that anybody's accused you of having a bag of potatoes, Rod. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there's a few spuds in there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, John learned from the best when he learned from you. How to throw those potatoes. I did. I had great, great mentors. Rod was one of them. I had so many matches with Rod. I learned so much. Mm-hmm. I would learn from from Rod, from Killer, from uh, James Beard, uh, from yeah. Act. I mean, I, I had and and Black Bart. I learned a ton from Bart. I mean, I, great I, yeah. that's something we're all blessed with. No matter what what era we come up with, they're great workers in every era, and they're great yes, that want to share their knowledge in every era. You know, you know, and, and Rod was and, one of those. It's old... just being a young guy that wants to learn. And show those guys your dedication. Show those guys that you want to learn, and they'll teach you. Even today, there's guys out there that that that's willing to show what knowledge they have. You know, and, and I appreciate those guys from today. You bet. You bet. I'm thankful for them coming up. You know, Rob is anybody, one of those guys that, that, that I'm sorry, Rob, me cut you off. That Rob's I was just saying, anybody that, was sharing with me, I was. I, anybody that had advice for me, I was willing to have an ear, man. You know, and Rob was one of those guys when I came along, you know, the perfect veteran to teach you, you know, because he'd say, I'll see you out there. You know, basically, I'll see you out there, kid. You know, the old phrase, but that's what it was. You know, we we worked so many nights, you know, and we weren't making hardly any money, uh, but we were working every night and you'd work with Rod, you know, wherever it was, you go, I'll I'll see you out there. You know, and so you had to go out there and think. You had to go out there and try to at least figure out what he's calling Right. And why it's reacting to the and crowd. Why, and why he's calling that. <laughs> why he's calling it and what your part needs to be as far as working, you know, yeah. because to cover up the transitions, the gaps and stuff, you know, that's how you learn. You know, if it's just all, yeah. at least in my opinion, if it's planned out from A to Z, you're yeah. going through a karate kata. It's just my foot here, your foot there, and you just go yeah. through it. But when you're actually out there working, it makes a big difference. And that's why guys like Rod were so important to anywhere, you know, to guys like me, this like guys that were important to Rod uh, that helped him along the way before him. And I'm sure Rod, uh, Rod saw a lot of himself in the here. You're a young football player. Both of you played football and both of you getting into a strange business. And I'm sure Rod wanted to, wanted to, to help you out and share that knowledge with you because of the mutual respect that you guys probably had for each other. Absolutely. Being, you know, John being, you know, Eight foot tall, anyway. Eight foot tall alien from Texas, man. Coming, you know, playing football. We'll let that go. We'll let that go by. Though. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, my first night uh, after that match with you, I went out with uh, Manny Fernandez and Butch Reed. <laughs> we were out at like four o'clock in the morning. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is this is going to be a wild ride. <laughs> 
<laughs> At one point, Manny, they cut him off. He threw p- two pitchers just over his head, just over his head in a crowded bar. And I was like, well, this is uh, this is going to be very interesting. This is going to be very interesting. <laughs> so, Rod, what are you up to now? Where are you living and what are you up to, man? Mr. Bristol, I am living on the bayou. Wow. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar down here in Louisiana, if you've heard of Coca Tree. No, I've heard, I've heard of Opelousas and all that. I worked Louisiana when I was a rookie. Do you remember uh, Homa? Homa, Louisiana. I sure do. Crawfish capital of the world. <laughs> I I am 30 minutes from Homa uh-huh. on the bayou. You're out, you're you're out in the bayou. <laughs> oh, if you look on the map, we're in the Gulf. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, we're having a house built. The uh, hurricane got us a couple of years ago. I'm uh, enjoying my grandkids, getting some fishing in. This year, I'm going to hunt uh, gator. I'm going to hunt some alligator, and I'm going to hunt some neutral. Yeah. So. Wow. So hunt some, what, what was the second one? Neutral. Yeah, enlighten me on that. <laughs> you know what neutral? Neutra is like a big, looks like a big rat. Got the big old buck teeth, yeah. But they they're invasive. They've been tearing up the land. They're vegetarians, but they they breed like rabbits, and they are just horrible for the land. Uh-huh. So on the back property, uh, the state of Louisiana has put a six dollar bounty on them. Wow, on their tail. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be doing some collecting. <laughs> there you go. Good for you, man. <laughs> There's nothing like a big old buck tooth rizat. Yeah. <laughs> they were sick buck to tell, man. They get all these- <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Hey, Rod, thanks so much for, I, I appreciate it. Man, you guys, I, I just can't say enough. Thank you. I, I, I haven't laughed this hard. Enjoyed every minute of this, man. I, I thank you, fellas. I appreciate thank you. It. Thank you.